Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There are the updated odds for the third pick in the draft. My, how it has changed. Just a couple of weeks ago, Trey Lance was the favorite to go number three. Then, after the trade settled in that rocketed the 49ers from 12 to 3, Mac Jones became the prohibitive favorite at minus 200. Now, Justin Fields, on the heels of Pro Day 2, he's the favorite to be the third overall pick by the San Francisco 49ers. Hey, Peter King, I'll say this. If the 49ers are trying to build a mystery as to what they're going to do with that third overall pick, mission accomplished. Because at this point, no one knows what they're doing. I mean, it's all nonsensical to me. And not that uh, so much of pre-draft stuff is nonsensical. But the reason that it's nonsensical is that do you think that if Mac Jones had had a pro day this this week and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were standing there on the sidelines, do you think that those odds would be the same? No, I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't understand why going to a pro day. And, and look, whoever makes those odds could very well know something. I don't know. I don't know anything, though. And, and, and it, it just seems a little silly that... You know, the fact that you had these guys standing there at a pro day watching a workout, they now, oh boy, now they're picking Justin Fields. It just, Mike, it's just silly. It's all you there. never, that's all I can say. I hear what you're saying. It's, it's silly. I, I don't know enough yet about the gambling philosophies to know what makes the odds moves. Obviously, betting on one specific guy will change the odds and it could be that just a bunch of casual gamblers are making that extremely superficial connection there he is mask up kyle please kyle kyle i've told you three times now this week mask up of course it's the same clip but i'll say it again mask up um it, it could just be people are, are making that very obvious connection and that's driving the numbers and it really isn't any different it's going to settle back into mac jones being the favorite i think that a lot of us like it being mysterious, especially the networks that are going to televise the draft. We already know one and two. 
Why would why would we want the 49ers to tell us who number three is? But they run the risk eventually, Peter, of looking like they traded up to number three without knowing what they were going to do. That That's the danger of making it too mysterious. Because at some point you say, guys, you're ultimately investing three first-round picks and a third-round pick for a player. And you don't know who the player is? Really? It could be one of three guys and you haven't decided yet? I mean, I think they've known all along and they're just doing their due diligence because you never know what's going to happen. And in theory, anything can happen in the next 13 days that could cause them to pivot away from the guy that they traded up there to get. So, uh, Peter, I, I think it's a combination of the ultimate reality show getting hyped up in a subtle way or not, and the 49ers just being careful because they can be. Look, there's no reason why the San Francisco 49ers need to let anything leak about who they're taking. No reason whatsoever. And, you know, as far as what happened one month before the draft, I believe that Chris Greer played this situation, the Miami general manager played this situation perfectly because he basically said to the 49ers and the 49ers knew that if we want to go up and get this pick, we have to overpay. Nobody's ever gone up nine spots in a first round and paid two future ones and a three to do it. Nobody. This is a tremendous investment. And in my opinion, what the 49ers did was they ensured that they bought insurance that they were going to get one of those three guys. And although I believe on the day they did this, that Kyle Shanahan's voice deep inside is saying, hey, we're taking Mac Jones. But John Lynch, Adam Peters, Parag Marate, Jed York, hey, listen, we've got a month. Let's study every guy thoroughly. And let's make sure that when we do pick the guy, and and look, this is there's all kinds of great memes going out about this. But the fact is, if you have if you have a month, if you have a month, you should use every every moment because you're making a momentous decision for the future of your franchise. Yeah, and one thing that we talked about when. Kyle Shanahan went to Pro Day 2 in Alabama to see Mac Jones throw. Shanahan doesn't like going to Pro Days. He doesn't go to many. So he goes to see Mac Jones in Alabama. He goes to see Justin Fields in Columbus. He's going to go see Trey Lance at his Pro Day 2. Yeah, I I think that you you just want to feel better. You already feel good about it or you wouldn't have made the move. This is a way for you to feel better. You've seen Mac Jones throw on the field, in person. You've done it with Fields. You've done it with Lance. You have greater conviction in what you're going to do. They really don't have to be coy because it's not like anyone is going to leapfrog them. Nobody's trading up to two with the Jets to take Mac Jones. The Jets are locked in with Zach Wilson. The Jaguars are locked in with Trevor Lawrence. The 49ers basically have the first pick in the draft, as far as anyone knows. So they don't need to be coy. But you need to be ready. You never know what's going to happen, Peter. I just think that's what it comes down to, whether it's the Laramie Tunsil gas mask bong video or, you know, I, look, I don't, I don't want to get specific and then be accused of jinxing someone, but 13 days are going to elapse 
between now and the first round of the draft. And, the, you know, you, you, maybe Mac Jones isn't completely healthy 13 days from now. And you got to be ready to move on to plan B. You don't know what's going to happen. Fluke, freak accidents just, happen all I the time got, to people. Yeah. I just got a text from somebody saying, what do you mean? What do the 49ers have to gain by keeping it secret? I'll give you a great for instance. Suppose the Atlanta Falcons, not that I think this is going to happen. Suppose the Atlanta Falcons are in love with pick a quarterback, Justin Fields, and they hear that the 49ers very well might pick Justin Fields. And what if the Atlanta Falcons say to the 49ers, look, we'll give you a two to go up to number three. And the 49ers say, we'll only do that if you, uh, you know, if we can be assured that we're going to get the guy we want it for. And they play that dance, they play that game. It's almost certain not to happen. But the reason why you keep things a secret is that you never can tell what is going to happen on, you know, in the day or two before the draft. And I'll give you a great example. I was with the 49ers in their draft room you know, on, you know, in 2017, the first draft for John Lynch there. And they basically took advantage of, not took advantage, but they basically squeezed out another third round pick from the Bears to move up from three to two to get Mitchell Trubisky. And, and so when you basically uh, are in this position, the way that the 49ers are now, you need to play your cards incredibly close to the vest so that no one knows until you make the pick exactly what you're going to do. And I remember when the 49ers made that flip-flop with the Bears, they got no assurances from Chicago as to who they were going to take. For all right. San Francisco knew, the Bears were going up to take Solomon Thomas, the guy the 49ers would have taken at three and did take at four. Do you remember who they would have taken at four if the Bears had taken Solomon Thomas at three? Yes, uh, Reuben Foster. Yes, who they eventually got at the bottom of the round. And they should be very glad, yeah, and that, very glad, very glad that it didn't happen that way with Reuben Foster being the fourth overall it, pick. Yeah, it, it's, that was, the reason that whole draft was just crazy is that, you know, all of the picks that the 49ers took that really didn't pan out I mean, Solomon Thomas was okay, but he didn't turn out to be a great player. And then, you know, Reuben Foster after that. And then remember that running back I wrote about in the fourth round, Joe Williams, that was off their draft board, but Kyle Shanahan wanted him so bad. And John Lynch basically said, okay, we'll take him. And then just imagine all these things happen. And then in the fifth round, they take some tight end named George Kittle. <laughs> so the draft is the is the ultimate bizarro world experience you know and that's what it was for the 49ers that year and the bears get so much grief for taking mitchell trubisky when patrick mahomes was still on the board the 49ers didn't even evaluate quarterbacks that year because kyle shanahan thought he was getting kirk cousins a year later ultimately got jimmy garoppolo right. how different yeah. the world would have been but but you're right and we get so caught up in the top of the draft there's going to be Bad players taken to the top of the draft, and there's going to be great players taken later. They're getting none of the pre-draft attention or discussion. So you mentioned the Falcons. 
And, and I really think that's where the draft begins this year. We know the 49ers are taking a quarterback, yeah. and maybe they do the flip-flop like you said, but they're not going down lower than 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 four. And the, it's not like the Bengals are going to try to trade up to three. The Bengals aren't going to think that, that maybe the 49ers are going to take Penny Sewell. So it's either going to be three or four for the 49ers. But what the Falcons do with four, let's assume the 49ers exercise the pick. The Falcons can go so many different directions – and, and they've done a great job of keeping their cards close to the vest, trade down, take a quarterback, take the best non-quarterback on their board. It, it, it really is uh, going, to, going to be interesting to see what they do. That'll give us the first tangible look in how Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot envision that franchise moving forward the next couple of years at the most important position on the field. Will it still be Matt Ryan or will they commence the process of getting a young quarterback ready? Mike, figure out right now the difference between taking a young quarterback with a rookie contract for, let's say, five years, including the fifth-year option. Figure out the average cap number of that player over the next five years versus the average cap number of Matt Ryan over the next five years if they were to re-sign him let's say, at the end of next year or, or, or whenever, you know. And if you did that, to me, one of the factors that you must consider if you do take a quarterback at number four is that it means almost certainly that Matt Ryan's going to play probably two more years for your team, and then he's gone. So the last three years of the five-year uh, number for the rookie what would it average, let's say? Maybe about $9 million, $10 million, including that fifth-year option. But that is one thing that I believe, instead of 9 or 10 or $11 million, if you sign Matt Ryan, then you're averaging in the, in the 30s at least. And so that's one thing that I think the, the Falcons have to consider. But the one other thing that, that I was told by people who know the Falcons is that Arthur Smith absolutely categorically is not going to reach for a quarterback just because they got the fourth pick in the draft and maybe you'll never be here again. You know, I was told he was not going to make that pick into something that, hey, I, I like this guy a lot. He's going to have to love a quarterback at number four in order to take him. And Mike, that's why, in my opinion, if I am guessing right now, I think they're going to take either, you know, the tight end from Florida, Kyle Pitts, or whichever wide receiver they're madly in love with. That's just my, that's, that's my gut feeling. They've tinkered a bit with Matt Ryan's contract. His cap number this year, $26.9 million, but next year it goes to $48.6 million if he's on the team, if they cut him or trade him. They're looking at about, I'm doing the math here, they're looking at about $36 million in dead money that they're going to have to deal with next year. But it's either 48, you know, you're either, I think after this year, you're either renewing your vows with Matt Ryan on a long-term deal or you're cutting him or trading yeah. him. I don't think you can carry a $48 million cap charge into 2022 because the cap's not going to be dramatically higher than this year because the pandemic losses will persist. And you're right, it's going to be about $9, 10000000 a year for a young guy and uh 
hey, the other option is trade down. That, that look, one of the one of the reasons that you do all the work on the quarterbacks that may be there at four is so you can best negotiate the value of that pick when it's time to talk turkey about Trey Lance. You know everything there is to know about Trey Lance. You've been scouting him, and you may draft him. That's also part of the leverage. Hey, you don't want to trade up? He ain't going to be there when you pick. He's not going to slip through the cracks. We're taking him. So when you look at a team that really feels like it needs an influx of young talent, one way to do it, Peter, move down and get more lottery tickets. I couldn't agree more. And in that particular situation, um, especially, especially, Mike, if Washington, Chicago, or New England, you know, New England 15, Washington 19, Chicago 20, if they are desperate to get one of those quarterbacks, you know that they are going to have to basically ruin their next couple of drafts in order to do so. At the very least, ruin the 2022 draft. And so if you are, you know, it's so fascinating to me because if you're the Falcons and you determine that, let's just say, you know, we think we can trade down to X and get a really good player there from a pool of these four or five guys, would you do that if it meant that you had two additional first round picks in the next two drafts? I think that's something that Terry Fontenot has to, absolutely has to consider. Not that I think it's going to happen, but it could. Hey, you know, one of the things we'll hear in the next two weeks is that this team is taking calls for pick four, pick five, whatever. That's part of the due diligence you do. When it's time to pick a lane, when when, when it's your team on the clock, you need to know what all your options are. You need to know what you're going to get if you trade down with whichever team wants to come up to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields. What else you could get if it goes this way? What your options are if you're going to make that pick? And and look, the 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 lower the drop, the better, obviously. Now the less you get, but then you can still get the guy you would have taken anyway. That's the key. That's what the 49ers did four years ago in the one spot flip with the Bears. They still got the guy they would have taken. They end up paying him less on his rookie contract because it's all slotted based on where you're drafted, and you get an extra draft pick. So if you can pull that off, now it's not like the Bengals are going to jump up. I'd say that whether it's the Lions at seven, if they're secretly plotting a run at a quarterback, the Panthers at eight, if Sam Darnold is just a Band-Aid, the Broncos at nine, they're not happy with Drew Locke. If you're the Falcons and, and you can get those extra picks, Peter, and still stay in the top 10, and still get a great non-quarterback. I mean, if, you're, if you've decided you don't want a quarterback, this run on quarterbacks right out of the gates is great because it pushes all the non-quarterbacks farther down. You can go to 7, 8, yes. 9, and still get a great player and extra draft picks for the future. I think the one other thing, Mike, you mentioned it I, I you know, 5, 10 minutes ago, but what was really interesting, you, you mentioned that there are going to be players in this draft who will not be good players, you know, and the, the, the problem with the pre-draft folderol, and it lasts for so long, is that we all get to thinking that, you know, if, if you listen to draft analysts, you are thinking that the tight end and the three receivers 
are all going to be in the Pro Bowl for the next 10 years. And the fact is, you know, let's go back to, uh, let's go back, you know, to the draft where three receivers were taken in the top 10. Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and uh, the Bengals guy who, who they just cut. And John every Ross. single one of those guys, yeah. yeah, every single one of those guys has underachieved or been a failure, one of those three. And, you know, look, Corey Davis is a good player. Mike Williams is a good player. Were they worth the, I think, fifth and seventh picks in the draft? And that's why I think the one thing that that I just wish that we would do is just realize that, hey, look, you know, there's a bunch of players who are going to get picked in this draft that maybe about half of them are going to, in the first round, half of them maybe are going to really turn out to be kind of franchise cornerstones. But a half or more are going to turn out to be just guys. And, 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 and that is the thing that I think we forget at this time of year. And every year it happens over and over again. And I don't know why we forget it. I'm glad you mentioned that. Let, let's, let's pull that thread just a little bit. I'm curious what you think about the reasons for that. Because it's one of the things that I hate about the run-up to the draft because everyone is great. This guy's great, and here's why he's going to be a superstar. Oh, that guy, he's great, and here's why he's going to be a superstar. And you see it over and over again running up to the draft, and you see it during the draft. Why do you think it is? Why is it that everything is glass half full when it comes to assessing these guys? Are we just wired to be positive? Is this just part of the selling of hope? What is it? I think it has to do with two things. Number one, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who works for one of the networks, um, and I asked him. I said, "I'm the the, the pre-draft stuff." I said, "It just drives me crazy. Everybody is a franchise savior," and he made this great statement. He said, "Look, you know, February, March, and April in the NFL is all about hope." And every team thinks that if we can do this, 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 if we can patch this hole, if we can plug in here, you know, there's absolutely no reason why we can't win 10 or 11 games next year. Every team is thinking that. And so if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars, and if you are thinking, let's just say, that we're going to get Trevor Lawrence and we're going to draft you know, three other really good players in the top 50 and they're going to fill whole X, Y, and Z. Look, we're already better than Houston, okay? So we're beating Houston twice. And now if we can split with Indianapolis and Tennessee, see, I mean, we're four and two in the division and now we got a decent chance to make the playoffs. You know, we can get in there fifth, sixth, seventh seed and that is the way that the wheels turn in the in the minds of fans. And why does ESPN have uh, Todd McShay and, and Mel Kuyper mock drafts on the network, uh, you know, a, a month or, or three weeks before the draft? Because everyone loves hope. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head partially. We want to sell hope. We want the team's fans to think that that 
franchise savior is just around the corner, and they don't want to hear people saying, oh, by the way, there's a 50% chance the guy's going to suck, and your hope will all be squandered, and you'll be back in the top five picking again next year because this guy isn't going to help you get any better. But I also think part of it too, Peter, if the draft experts were too candid about the reality that half these guys are going to stink, at some point someone's going to ask, well, which ones are they? Well, we don't know. Well, why are we even listening to you then? That that's the that's the potential end result of that conversation, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why they don't go there. By the way, by the way, well done with Folderol, F O L D E R O L noun, trivial or nonsensical fuss via Google Folderol. And I'll tell you something, Peter. Right after you said Folderol, I first of all I didn't know how to spell it. I figured it out. I googled it. And Pete Demolitis, who even when he's not producing, is watching the show and contributing, he sent me a screenshot of the exact thing that I Googled. We both needed to know what Folderol is. So we ultimately made a gigantic Folderol out of the fact that you used the word Folderol. Did I use it correctly? I love that. In a two-hour show, there's plenty of time for Folderol. (laughs) There absolutely (laughs) is. Trust me. I know that very well. Coming up. Coming up, more Falderall on this Friday edition of PFT Live, including a round of which doesn't belong and why. We'll be right back. Falderall. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Alden Smith signing with the Seattle Seahawks. He was out of football five years. Last year with the Dallas Cowboys, they decided to move on. Seahawks actually tried to trade for him last year at the deadline. Cowboys said no thank you, so now the Seahawks get him for nothing other than the cost of his contract. We mention him, Peter, because we're going to play a little which doesn't belong and why. And we're going to start with edge rushers who have availability questions, who have signed free agent contracts this offseason. Alden Smith, Jadavian Clowney, Yannick Ngakwe, Ngakwe signing with the Ravers, uh, the, the Raiders, excuse me, and Clowney with the Browns, which doesn't belong and why? I'd say Alden Smith because, in my opinion, Alden Smith is going to give more production to the Seahawks than either of those other two guys uh, will give their team. 
I think Alden Smith was one of the uh, kind of feel-good stories about the season last year in Dallas. And I think especially if you got Carlos Dunlop and Alden Smith, two veteran guys who basically understand that it's all going to be about them. The pass rush in a division where they're going to throw the ball a lot. Uh, I think that Alden Smith really sticks out to me in the, in the, among that, that threesome. Because look, if you look at Yannick Ngakwe and, and Jadavian Clowney, I mean, you know, uh, much ado about not a lot of production. And with Alden Smith, this is a guy who really should be celebrated because of the adversity that he has overcome. He can be an inspiration to so many other people out there who are dealing with far lesser adversity or in some cases greater adversity. Living in a car a year before he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys, a guy who was a dominant presence for the 49ers, 42 sacks in his first 43 regular season games, career came off the rails in 2013 got his life back together. I think that's the kind of thing that the NFL really should be be elevating. And, and Peter, I, when he had some, some strong performances last September, there was one week he should have been the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. And I know that that really isn't a big deal, but the NFL League office decides who they're going to be. It's a PR function where they pick these guys. He really got snubbed. And I don't know whether <coughs> there was some hesitation there to, to propping up Alden Smith given his history, but – we should be propping the guy up. He's an inspiration to plenty of others, and we all reach hard times at some point in our lives, and I think it's great to see him back. And I think they have an opportunity for him to be really, really good, Peter, if they can get him in shape, because I think that was the problem last year. He wasn't in football shape. You get him in shape, he could be he could be not as disruptive as he was 10 years ago, but he could still be pretty good. The, the biggest thing that and, – and look, John Schneider and Pete Carroll – have a little bit of of Al Davis in them in that they believe that veteran players who have something to prove and really have played well in the past will come to their place and be rejuvenated. And, And I just think last year, late in the year, Carlos Dunlap was a really good factor. Uh, as an outside rusher for, for the Seahawks. And now they add another one. I just, I really love the signing. All right, next topic. Slot receivers who get discussed in the context of potential Hall of Fame enshrinement. Heinz Ward, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. Which doesn't belong and why? Well, I'll say that Heinz Ward doesn't belong because in my opinion, he's far and away the best candidate for the Hall among those three. Um, and look, they're all they're all really, really good players. But, you know, look, it, when you look at the careers of those guys and you say, look, Heinz Ward was a Super Bowl MVP, had a thousand catches, had 380 more catches than uh, you know, than Julian Edelman. And the other thing that, you know, you've got to take into account if you're not only looking at the numbers is that. Heinz Ward is one of the or the best blocking wide receiver of all time. And so when you when you weigh all that, guy caught a thousand balls, he was a Super Bowl MVP, and he was a great blocker and an unselfish blocker. I I mean, I'm surprised we haven't discussed him a lot in the Hall of Fame room the day before the Super Bowl. Yeah, a thousand catches, more than twice as many yards. 
not not quite close to twice as many receiving yards as Julian Edelman and Heinz Ward doesn't get the consideration. Here's a question though, Peter, with Edelman gaining I don't want to say traction. There's just this hype, there's this theory, there's this notion, this idea that he may get in. Does that actually help Heinz Ward? Because before anyone can ever have the Edelman conversation, Ward has to be in and maybe by scrutinizing Edelman, people are going to realize, hey, why isn't Heinz Ward in? No, I don't. I really don't think that is very much of a factor, Mike, because my experience in being in that room, just, just my opinion, is that the five-year waiting period really is a factor in a lot of cases because there's a lot of... Everybody gets pumped up now thinking about... Wow, Julian Edelman, a Super Bowl MVP, second most uh, you know receptions in the playoffs to Jerry Rice, and 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 you think of all the good things, but <clears throat> then you have a chance over time to let the emotions settle down, um, and and you talk about how it relates to to Heinz Ward. I think that people, at least my experience is, I think a lot of people have already made up their mind on Heinz Ward, or else. He would have been discussed by now. I don't think that Julian Edelman pushes Heinz Ward into a period of more discussion. I think there should be significant discussion on Heinz Ward. But in my opinion, I think a lot of people in that room have already made up their minds on Heinz Ward. Completely unscripted and something I just thought of. Since it's Bill Belichick's 69th birthday and we have no idea how long he's going to coach, is there a point where someone at the Hall of Fame will say, you know what, Bill Belichick deserves to enjoy being enshrined in his lifetime. And if he coaches until he's 80, let's not roll the dice on him making it five more years. Let's just put the guy in the day he retires. Do you think there's any chance of that happening? I doubt it. Um, you know, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame made up new rules for the centennial class my experience is that uh, with the Hall of Fame is that I don't think they like to make rules for individual people. Um, and, you know, who knows? The future is cloudy, but I doubt, I don't, I, I just don't see that happening. I also don't see Bill, Bill Belichick coaching till he's 80. I have no idea how long he'll coach, but 80 is, I mean, coaching 11 more years Doing anything for 11 more years when you're 69 is, uh, it's kind of hard to predict. Yeah, but you know, you got Warren Buffett, Rupert Murdoch. Those are the examples Robert Kraft gave me four years ago when he said he'd very much like to see Bill Belichick coach into his 80s. All right, one more. Aaron Rodgers, Michael Strahan, Emmanuel Acho, players who have hosted major programs and Acho had something to do with the bachelor. I don't watch the bachelor. And I mean, you can attach me to a lie detector test. This isn't a Jerry Seinfeld Melrose place thing. I really don't watch the bachelor, but of the three, which doesn't belong and why Aaron Rodgers, because in my opinion, uh, somebody, Michael Strahan is, does the most wide ranging stuff of anybody, you know, that I have seen leave the NFL and go into television. He refuses to be, you know, pinned down. But like we were talking about earlier in the program, Mike, who does something that is like the ultimate egghead job? 
Here's one of the greatest football players of all time. And he could be the substance, he could be the heir to Alex Trebek. I mean, it, it's just, I, that that really blazes a uh, almost a singular trail for any player leaving the NFL. Yeah, and it could be the kind of thing where if he does it long enough, and look how long Alex Trebek did it, if he really is the guy, what will happen is, and I'll call it the Irv Cross effect, Peter, because that was the first time I ever noticed it. Irv Cross, who died not that long ago, when I discovered football in the mid-'70s, NFL Today appointment viewing, I never knew Irv Cross played football. Now, Irv Cross, not nearly the same level of accomplishment as Aaron Rodgers, but after a certain period of time, he's not going to be known as a football player anymore. There's going to be a whole new cycle you know, you're going to have your Anthony Edwards who don't know who Alex Rodriguez is. You're going to have that whole new generation. <laughs> They're going to know him only as the host of Jeopardy. And, and that, may be, that may be his destiny to eventually be known as host of Jeopardy. Oh, and yeah, he used to, he used to, play, he used to play football once upon a time. Well, how about when the executive producer of the show, Mike Richards, we talked about it earlier, says to me, and I quote, Aaron could have a better second career than his first. And that sounds almost like like overly solicitous. And he's being so nice and so complimentary. But if he's good at Jeopardy for 15 years, you know, most people in America will look at Jeopardy and being the host of Jeopardy as a greater career accomplishment than being a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I know it's hard for people who watch this show to believe that. I believe it, certainly. Hey, I believe it. <laughs> Look, the NFL's premier event every year, every year, Super Bowl, biggest event, 100 million people watch it. 250 million people don't in this country. So, yeah, uh, there are other things than football. I hate to admit that. I, it's hard for me to say that. <laughs> it's falderall for me to say that, but it's true. All right. Aaron Rodgers has been one of the most intriguing people in the NFL over the last two weeks because of his guest host stint on Jeopardy. Who are the most intriguing people over the next two weeks as we approach the draft? That is the subject of today's PFT Live Draft. We'll do it next here, and we'll be right back. So how have you developed your hands to be so sure? I would just say reps on jug machine and squeezing rice. That was something I like to do. And the trainers kind of had us squeezing what? walking, uh, squeezing rice. And uh, rice. I would say walking. Like bags of rice? Yeah, right. Like if you put it in a bowl and just squeeze it, it gets your grip stronger. Get my forearm strong so I can oh. squeeze the balls. But it's just different. Like reverse curl with your oh, okay. with the bar behind you. That gets your uh, forearms pretty big. Kyle Pitts on brother from another, the arguable best non-quarterback in the draft. And uh, we'll see when he comes off the board. All right. I got a question for you, Peter, as we draft the most intriguing figures of the next two weeks in the NFL, who was the last top five pick that came from outside a power five conference? And the hit is it's a wide receiver. Uh, that helps. How about Carson? How about Carson Wentz? Uh, one year too early. Corey Davis, 2017, from Western Michigan, I believe, taken by the Titans. I think that's the answer. Is that the answer? 
All right, I got it right. Um, yes, and, and it isn't even Where written you here. Go, That's then. just I just happen to know it for a change. Uh wow. Oh, it's got to be Kyle Shanahan. I, I, uh, that we don't, we, you know, even if he knows what he's going to do, we don't know what he's going to do. What's he going to let on? What's he going to let us know? What clues are going to be there? How quiet is he going to keep things? And you mentioned the whole Jay Cutler dynamic with Mike Shanahan from 2006 when the Broncos just came out of the blue, traded up with the Rams to pick number 11 to get Jay Cutler. Kyle learned from his dad. Don't show anything. And even when you're in a, in a spot where there's no reason to keep it quiet, he's keeping it quiet. The betting market's all over the place on who the third overall pick's going to be. Only Shanahan knows. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he lets us know between now and two weeks from last night. I'm going to say Terry Fontenot, the new general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, for a very, very simple reason. He's going to have more choices than I think any general manager high in this draft. He's either going to be able to sit there at number four and take a quarterback. He's either going to be able, or he's going to sit there at number four and take Kyle Pitts or his choice of, you know, Jamar Chase or you know, one, of the, one of the receivers, or he's going to get an offer he can't refuse. And so right in the saddle, in his first draft as a general manager to me the most intriguing general manager in this draft Terry Fontenot I'm gonna go with Bill Belichick who's the combination GM head coach of the Patriots even though he doesn't have the GM title he's in charge we talked at length earlier about what they've done this offseason where they sit at number 15 rare that they're not in the 20s, rare that they're not in the low 20s, rare that they're not in the 30s, frankly, for the draft. They're in a position where if they do want to make a move, they could. And so as pick four, five, six, seven, eight, as those happen, you're going to have that constant worrying of the when could we hear there's been a trade and the Patriots have moved up because, as you said, no one knows what the Patriots are going to do. So what is Belichick going to do? It's not like he's going to let us know, but we have to consciously and constantly be aware of the possibility they're going to make that move to try to get their next franchise quarterback. My next pick is Justin Fields because I think he has been on a roller coaster uh, going back to the beginning of last season. First of all, he is one of the players who is a very big reason why the Big Ten played football. You know, he starts a petition drive to get football going back. He has some big games, but he has a couple of clunkers against Indiana and against Northwestern. So now clearly it's Trevor Lawrence, you know, at the top, and then Justin Fields. And then the year ends, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got... You've got Zach Wilson who jumps up and who jumps ahead of Justin Fields. And now he's in this netherland. You know, we don't know if Justin Fields is going to be picked third or whether he's going to be picked 12th. We don't have any idea. But as far as players and where he could go, at what level of the draft, how aggressive teams are going to be to get Justin Fields, I think he is a really interesting figure coming in to this draft. Hell, I think I saw that Charlie Casserly, former NFL general manager, has fields at 24, which seems just a bit lower 
than where Fields is ultimately going to go. I'll go Kyle Pitts, the guy that we heard from to start the segment, because he could be the fourth overall pick of the Falcons. He could be the 10th overall pick of the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, and this is kind of a hybrid for me, because when you look at all the offensive players that we're going to see in the top 10, the Cowboys have needs defensively. They 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 basically have the first pick in the draft if it's all nine offensive players because they need to go defense. But if Kyle Pitts is there at 10, or if he creeps past five, will the Cowboys, will Jerry Jones, will he be able to overpower anyone in the organization and, and move up? He's infatuated with Pitts. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see where he goes because, Peter, I think he could he could go as high as four to Atlanta if they just decide to say, screw it, we're using the pick and we're not taking a quarterback. Yeah, I, I like that one. That was going to be my next one. But my, my last one, Mike, is going to be Trey Lance. And I hate to just lean on quarterbacks like this, but Trey Lance is fascinating to me because – Look, he's played one football game in the last 400 days. He was not very good in that football game. That football game was against Central Arkansas. And so it just reinforced a lot of people's questions about how long will it be before Trey Lance is going to be able to be a a very good quarterback at that next level. And look, I think he's going to be, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really good NFL quarterback. He's got all the tools in order to do that. But the fact is, he hasn't done it against a high level of competition. He's been off, basically, for most of the last 16 months. And so now you look at him and you say, we need to really examine this player closely. Let's go back to 2018. The third and the fifth quarterbacks taken ended up being the best two so far from that draft class. More PFT Live right after this. Good morning. (laughs) There's nothing funny about this. Uh, what, What a normal, it's like the Truman Show. Everything's bucolic, wonderful morning, got my got my coffee, got my donuts, got my bobcat. <laughs> Ohio University representing Peter. Coast to coast, across the country, across the world, Bobcat. Bobcat, throw the Bobcat. Bobcat comes back. There comes the Bobcat. <laughs> bobcat will not be deterred. I'm gonna shoot that bleep. There's a bobcat attack my wife. A bobcat. There's a bobcat attack my wife, Peter. Bobcat. <laughs> Everywhere you look. You never know where the next viral hey, video is going to come from. Thank God these houses where have was these cameras that? attached to them. Where, where was Somewhere that? where, I don't know, somewhere where bobcats are. Wow. That was amazing. I love the reaction. I love him tossing the bobcat. <laughs> How about hey, picking we're, up we're a 98, bobcat? We're 98, guts. 98 days from the Olympics could be an event. I don't know if you can get it in enough countries between now and then, <laughs> the but the bobcat toss, I'd tune in for that. Thanks for tuning in for this. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.